So for example, doing fairly low load mobility type exercises is not going to present a challenging enough stimulus to cause muscle strength adaptation in maybe that younger OA uh, person who may, may be quite active. Today we discussed strengthening and the effects that might have on the OA. We looked at previous research and why the results weren't so strong and then what the current research is telling us. We spoke to Claire Minshall. Now, Claire is one of the most highly respected and researched active rehab professionals in the UK. She treats a lot of knee OA in gym settings and around strengthening. And she had some wonderful knowledge to share with us. Now, make sure you stay to the end of the episode where Claire starts exploring what type of exercises to prescribe and exactly how she does that in a meaningful way with her patients. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Claire. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's really an honor. Thank you. And the the first question we were going to cover was there was a previous assumption that strength training may not have been effective for NEOA. Where did that come from? And did you find that in some of your research? Yeah, so... um uh, a few years ago, I uh, did a systematic review which investigated the um, application, really, of the principles of resistance training in the management of knee osteoarthritis. And th- like these principles of, of training are looking at specificity, overload, progression, something that we know a lot about in sports performance and sports medicine. Uh, and to be honest, I thought it'd be well translated into the uh, osteoarthritis research. Um, So we followed the normal procedure for conducting a systematic review over a thousand papers. uh, Mm. We uh, looked at which transcended to 34 being included into the the systematic review. Mm. And then when we looked at the methodologies of these papers, which are all you know, kind of gold standard randomized control trials that look at, and each and every single one of those papers said they were um, applying a strength training protocol or program mm. uh, to investigate the effects of that on management of neosteoarthritis. These methodologies, I mean, I think only one paper came reasonably close to applying what we would typically understand um, as a strength training protocol. So, to give you an idea, the strength training ranged from extending the knee against a, a rolled-up towel um, mm. for maybe 20 repetitions with no determination of uh, real intensity or progression through to kind of one of the better designed ones uh, requiring quite a bit of equipment, but there was an isokinetic protocol. Yeah. Um, requ- I think it was 10 repetitions and all manner of uh, exercise in between. So, and then the way in which, you know, there's a a whole array of determining what intensity was or not. So, Mm. you know, reps and sets were determined without, um, let's say, reaching failure or calculating, let's say, a percentage of a a rep max. Some did, some didn't. Some were set at an intensity of 10, um, sorry, 70% of a 10 rep max. Um, And then, you know, rest wasn't considered in a lot of the papers or indeed um, written in the methodologies, which we know if we're doing, you know, kind of strength training in particular, we need a decent amount of intercept rest. 
And uh, progression as well was not addressed by each and every one of these papers. So only one paper really came close to delivering what we would understand as a strength training protocol. And what so was then, the result of that, of that systematic review with such a wide range of strength protocols? Yeah, so we just, there was no point doing a meta-analysis at that stage because, you know, if you think about the heterogeneity of protocols there, hmm. at, that st- at that that time, which so that was published 2017, there was, there's, there's no wonder really that there was this question about whether or not resistance training, strength training had an effect on the management of symptoms of NEOA because I don't think we were even close to getting a, a, a homogenous approach to strength training uh, or resistance training. And there's such an array of, of interventions that we, we, there's no way we can answer that question. You know, so that we're bound by the research that has gone before. So if we've got a, a study that's, that's doing knee extensions against a rolled up towel with no, uh, you know, an arbitrary number of of uh, repetitions with no real progression built in or measurement mm. built in compared to something that's actually a little bit better where they're doing maybe resistance band exercises to something that's maybe a little bit better, which is using an isokinetic dynamometer. You know, how, how can we possibly conclude that it, it has an effect when we're bundling all this research together? So I think there's a real... Um, so the, the conclusion basically is that, that the principles of resistance training weren't um, cons- consistently applied across the board of these these studies. Okay. So there wasn't attention paid to uh, specificity. So what is strength really? Do we understand what that is? And then you know um, the overload required to elicit that strength adaptation. And then assuming that you get those two things right, your patients will progress, get better. So we need to. Uh, building progression within to uh, within an exercise program or a resistance training program, such that we can maintain that uh, that uh, continued adaptation. So that wasn't consistently done across the board; very poorly done, and a lot actually didn't report adherence either. <laughs> so we don't really know how much of a mixed bag of this exercise that was being done, um, and how much that contributed or didn't to any of the the results that we saw. Um, it's not inspiring About. pushing your leg against a towel, so I'm not surprised there's no adherence. <laughs> we can make it a little more exciting, I feel. <laughs> was there any result to that? Um, so even though it was such a wide array of protocol, what, do you think that was a reason behind the results not being favourable? So, I mean, that's, we didn't do the, the meta-analysis on the effects because we felt that it was pointless um, in that respect because we wouldn't make a sensible conclusion. So mm. the, the methodologies were so heterogeneous, then mm. it wouldn't make sense. Now, those, you know, there were systematic reviews kind of out at the time, meta-analyses, and I'm pleased to say that more recent research is, is, is much better in yeah. attending to these principles of training and thinking about what is strength or what is the focus of that exercise intervention and then build the program around that focus such that we meet um, our objectives. Um, so in terms of the, you know, the... The re- there was no reason really to to amalgamate that those data and mm. the papers that might have done that. You know, if we reach a a conclusion where we can't say it does or it doesn't, then we can see if we look back at the 
the research that shows that heterogeneity in methodological approaches, then it would make sense that we, we wouldn't have a conclusion because some of them are not doing strength training interventions at all, whereas others might be. So take me to what's come out recently. Have we, there's probably two questions in this. I'll let you pick where we start, but has there been a better review with different outcomes or have we at least reached an agreeable dosage of strengthening for NeoA? I think we're still answering those uh, questions and I think maybe still asking those questions. Uh, so there's obviously, you know, some, some great programs out there and, and some of the challenges as well are to deliver these at scale as well, aren't they? So we know osteoarthritis is hugely prevalent in, in most populations, extremely costly, um, and we want to maintain people's activity levels, if not increase them. And, you know, these people are, are generally older. Um, and I know that's coming for me, I think, in not too many <laughs> years' time. So I'll, I'll use older loosely. Um, but, you know, the, the relationship potentially between muscle weakness and other factors uh, that, like uh, dependency and even all-cause mortality, there's, there's a need really to, to keep people active. And actually, I think there's a strong rationale to preferentially, you know, strength train these populations. Mm. Um, so, you know, in terms of the, you know, the programs that we've got and the things that are out there, there's some, some really great research. And um, even thinking about, I think we'll come back to that question of, of what is it that we're we're trying to do. If we think that muscle strength is important, then we need to design our protocols to elicit that. If we think, you know, some exercise of some description with education is likely to have a good effect. So here in mm. the, the UK and, and uh, expanded to, to Europe, we have something called escape pain, which um, addresses that quite nicely with education plus exercise. However, I think, you know, when we're thinking about that, that broader population of people with knee osteoarthritis or, you know, kind of starting on that trajectory, I think we would need to pay attention more to the exercise interventions. So, for example, doing fairly low load mobility type exercises is not going to present a challenging enough stimulus to cause muscle strength adaptation in maybe that younger OA pop, uh, person who may, may be quite active mm. um, versus somebody who's fairly inactive, sedentary, um, and they're really at that kind of end stage of the disease. Um, so I think we really need to, to think about the, the aim, as I said, of the exercise intervention and how we start to properly train those different aspects of, of muscle function. You were mentioning high load when we were emailing each other. You, you were mentioning a heavy load. So I'm assuming we're speaking to that point of we do want to increase muscle strength. And then there's this thought train that, well, do we actually need muscle strength to decrease pain? Where do you, where do you sit on that? Is that? Do you think we should be going heavier? Is there any research for that? Or are these lower load plus education getting the results you would expect? That's a great question, and I, I don't think we've really got that answer. I know there's a, a certainly a big camp of for people that, that advocate for some exercise, low load, we don't need high intensity, 
you know, educate people on pain and that can have a great effect. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I, what I do think we should do is not um, be dismissive of the benefits of high intensity, high load uh, training for particularly that older population. Now, when we think about older populations, there's a lot of fear around loading older populations because maybe you view them as fragile, they're older, they're less capable, you don't, you know, you don't want to cause pain. Mm. Um, but, you know, in terms of seeing research that shows, you know, I, I'm yet to see a, a paper that has progressively loaded an older age group and had a lot more adverse events than in, um, in a younger population because we're not listed, lifting, comparing absolute weight. So what I can lift is not going to be the same as what a, a, you know, a 70-year-old uh, can lift. It's yeah. relative to them. And I think a fantastic example of that is you know, Belinda Beck's work in the LIFTMAR trial where it's not NEOA, it's actually um, osteoporotic populations. And they program um, high intensity. So we're talking over 80% of one rep max here. So 80 to 85% one rep max. Mm -hmm. Things like deadlifting, you know, and squatting and overhead pressing. And I think that's a fantastic example of being able to do that in, in a population you might you know, viewers even less able to do these exercises compared to NeoA. They're the osteoporotic. Mm. But the, the results uh, uh, speak for themselves. You know, the the abilities of these individuals is great to see. So if you can manage to see see the, the snippets on YouTube, do look at them. They're, they're fabulous. It will challenge <laughs> your your hesitancy straight away. But, you know, the, the consequences of falls have been less, fewer falls, positive effects on strength and for mineral density. So, you know, would we get that same level of adaptation if we were doing really submaximal loading, um, a much lesser intensity? And I think, you know, we shouldn't naturally assume older people can't do things. And I think we should automatically consider those, that protocol or, he or those heavier loads um, and resistance training on a par uh, with any assumption or any consideration of exercise program because of uh, the need to combat sarcopenia, the effects of muscle weakness that we see, uh, our relationships with all-cause mortality even, as well as dependency, um, and particularly in the management of, of these conditions. Mm. There's something about the expectancy violation and the empowerment of going a little bit heavier and doing some of those compound movements you mentioned. And I mm. think... If you can do that without adverse effects, which the research is not showing any, then it's a, it's a good place to go because it's such a such an empowering narrative for a patient of that age to lift and do a compound movement. So I'm biased that way. I was going to ask you, where do you start? Like quite clinical question. Let's say you have a 60 to 70-year-old NEOA in front of you and if your bias is to head in that direction... There's no reason we can't start with low load, I'm assuming, or a really meaningful yeah. exercise for them. But how do you then progress that? Yeah, so, yeah it's great. And I, I obviously I agree with you <laughs> as well. So when, when we're not in lockdown, which we are, we are here in, um, in the UK, uh, I run um, a 12-week program for, for NEOA um, individuals, and, and most of them are <laughs> clearly over, over 60. And a lot of them... Uh, 
haven't been to a gym before and I run this out of a gym mm. and it's pretty intimidating environment to be in. So honestly, I don't care what they do in the first session. I just want them to come back for the second. Yeah. Um, so it's all about making them feel confident and comfortable in that environment and understanding what they want to get out of this process. So what are their goals? Where are they headed? Is it that they, you know, a good example, uh, a couple of, of patients, one wanted to be able to do, um, or continue to do their cross-country walks, which they were limited in doing. They wanted to be able to play with their grandchildren. Um, <clears throat> and once you understand that and you're able to frame the exercise within their goals, understand their barriers, their perceived barriers and, how they themselves might be able to work around that. I had one patient who used to travel an hour and a half on a bus with his wife to come see us in the gym because he got so much benefit from it. And we let her, you know, his wife did her own thing in the gym as well, which was great. Uh, but you start with, with something that they feel comfortable with. And literally that program was all centered around kind of knee extension, hamstring curls and, and leg press. Each and every person is going to be limited in what they physically think they got that they think they can do and physically their symptoms. And we modify the exercise to maintain the specificity, not to reduce the load when they're fully in the program. But as I said, I don't care what they do the first session. I want them to come back for a second. And then likewise, second, maybe we kind of ramp it up a little bit. And maybe, you know, I've, I think I've been kind of tagged with, with poo-pooing the three sets of 10. But if that's something that it's easy for them to remember and it means that they're going to come back, I don't mind that at all. Mm. But we will get specific quite quickly. And usually within a couple of weeks, we're getting these people doing five rep maxes on knee extensions, on hamstring curls, and maybe even leg press as well. Now, that might not be full range. <laughs> and it might be, um, you know, one leg is, is less than another, which is fine. But we're kind of getting up into those ranges and we see tremendous. Uh, strength gains, reductions on pain, reductions in an analgesia, and um, you know people kind of getting back to what they wanted to be able to do. And the point you were making right at the beginning about these compound movements, most of these people will will do a deadlift at the end of that program. Now, I'm not saying it's a five rep max deadlift, max deadlift, but when they walk into the gym and they see somebody perhaps doing that. That is so far off their radar. They're never in their wildest dreams could even imagine doing that, nor would they ever want to do that. And when they do do it, oh my goodness, you know, they, they feel, like you were saying, they feel so empowered. Yeah. And, you know, see, I mean, I, I get warm and fuzzy inside, but they, you know, they take a lot from that. They do. That's really, it's really exciting. I think you see a transformation in their, in their being. A smile usually comes across their face. It's really rewarding. That was, a, that was a really practical pearl there, Claire, that I really loved the framing of the exercise towards their goals. So um, I think we're going to leave it there and thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on.